You are about to experience the Core Academy Podcast. Welcome to the flow. All right, here we go. You ready, Brandon? Are we live? We're going. All right, we're Let's live. Let's do it. Episode three with Moshe Bersiker, Brandon Durham, and Jamie Nottingham. Awesome. Uh, all right. So, the Core Academy Podcast, episode three, man. We're here. Uh, you should introduce Jamie. All right. Let's, let's start from the beginning. I mean, we don't have to go like way, way back, but. Well, these are part of the, 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 the questions because the way Jamie came in was through an ad that we were running. Am, am I correct? Yep, absolutely. And um, was it was it a real ad or was it like 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 uh, an ad telling you that we're going to make you into like a martial art movie star or was it the actual ad for the becoming an instructor and training, getting paid to train? I think it was like the um, if you can make us money, then uh, then contact us. I think it was the like it was Chad had put it out thinking like people who wanted to run classes as like independent contractors out of there would would pick up on it and come in on that. All right. I thought you came in on get paid to train if like you love martial arts and, and that that's how we met you. I don't remember. I wasn't I wasn't part of that part, you know. Um, I remember those ads. Hooked. <laughs> they were built on developing young business you know, businessmen and martial artists. Yeah. To be able to like train under your wing and then be able to establish themselves as instructors and professionals. Yeah, because what, what we found was when we would put just a regular ad out for, you know, a, an instructor or a program director, we wouldn't get what we needed, you know, 99% of the time, and we wind up having to train people. So having someone who loves martial arts or someone who's a good athlete or someone who can learn and, and follow good directions and great personality will train them. And it, it's, you know, you think about any dollar that you spend in business is really an investment. So we had no problem investing in the right person. And then here comes Jamie Nottingham. So uh, can you can you remember how you started at, at, uh, at the gym back in the days in, in Westchester with us? I only remember because it was such a such a crazy thing that happened. I uh, I got the address mixed up for like a chat had sent me said, oh, come in and do like a kickboxing class. Like if one of the fitness kickboxing classes kind of like just to see what I was like, see what kind of shape I was in, I guess, and see maybe if I could teach the class. And uh, I got the address to the to the school mixed up, and I was 15 minutes late, and I like really had to use the bathroom, so I was kind of speeding. And the parking lot is an old like go kart uh, course, so there's all these <laughs> weird islands in it. So I'm like speeding around the backside of the parking lot, and I just crash into one of those islands at like 30 miles an hour and total the car that I was driving on the way to your first interview. day. Yeah, I'm already 15 minutes late. And uh, so I call Chad and I'm like, yeah, you know, I just totaled the car, but I think I'm in the parking lot. So I'm just going to come in. So I came in and I talked to him for a little bit. And then I ended up coming back again and like actually doing the class when I was on time for it. And uh, afterwards, I, you know, I got the job and he was like, yeah, you know, when uh, when you still came in right after you told the car, we figured you might make some mistakes, but that you were pretty reliable. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's amazing. That's funny. So what was your first what was your first? professional job as a martial artist in in the school uh i think it was uh just working at the desk i think i started off working at the desk and then i was training to do the the kickboxing classes which i kind of did 
on an accelerated basis because I, I already knew how to punch and kick and I was in pretty good shape and stuff. Where had you learned how to do that? Uh, I, I trained martial arts from the time I was a kid, kind of like on and off. Like when I was really young, I did this like some kind of karate, but then the instructor was like hitting on my mom. So she took me out of the class. And then uh, <laughs> we won't ask who. On, yeah. I mean, we will after yeah, later. I stop recording. And then um, and then when I was a little bit older, I did like Japanese jujitsu for a little bit. But then uh, I think I ended up moving out of that town. And then when I was like 12 and 13, I started really doing Taekwondo uh, like uh, for real. And uh, I, I stuck with that until I got my black belt. And then I also at the same time was training with my stepdad, who was a pretty good martial artist. And he would kind of uh, take me through and show me different ways to do things. Were you competing as a child? Uh, in Taekwondo, I competed a little bit. But like the school, they weren't really that into it. And honestly, it became a really big point of contention between me and them because I was like going to competitions and doing really well. But then they weren't willing to take me more often or even give me information about it. And it kind of was like, well, what's going on here? Like kind of felt stifled by the environment. It was like a very cookie cutter school. All right. Now let's go back a little bit. You, you just mentioned your stepdad. I met your stepdad years ago. Yes. When he had his place in Somers. Okay. I was, uh, I think I lived in Somers. I think I just moved to Shunarok back in those days and I was driving around uh, I saw that there was like uh, there's this martial arts school on the corner and I, you know, like every martial artist, I don't know about every martial artist, but I know for me, ever since I was a little kid, any martial arts school I ever saw, I like made my parents stop. I went <laughs> to look in, in, into it. I actually really stopped doing that once I had like a big success, successful school, you know, but um, up until that point, like every school I looked at, you know, I just want to stop and, and, and check them out. So I went in and... Um, you know, introduced himself. I didn't know at the time, but your mom was there. Oh. All right. So I met your stepdad and your mom, I don't know, maybe 10 years before you ever even came to our doors. You know, it's it was wild. a while. Isn't it wild? Small, small world, right? Well, it's even crazier than that. When I was a little kid, I actually went to one of your birthday parties. You did a birthday party for Teddy Graves, I think. Uh, and I, was, I was there. <laughs> so I, I seen you hype the boy. Cake. I seen you cut yep. the cake as uh, yeah, with the sword. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Our birthday parties were cut above the rest because we cut that cake with the sword, man. That was our thing. That was fun. <laughs> I was like, man, I want to do kung fu. I'm sick of this other stuff. <laughs> oh, we, that was so great. We that was so great. Well. So when um when you came to the school, you started out teaching the heavy bag class, right? The, yep. the the fitness kickboxing class. We um it's funny because back in the days, like when when fitness kickboxing started to get big, um we would have people come to take the class. And uh, one time this 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 woman walked in, and she had a she had a pretty big chip on her shoulder. Uh, she thought she was uh you know really really cool and and hot stuff. And she walked in. She was like, "Hey, do you guys teach kickboxing?" And uh, the answer, we're like, well, yeah, we teach kickboxing. She goes, no, no, no. Do you teach real kickboxing? And I was like, hold on a second. What, what, what exactly do you mean? Where are you going with this? And back in those days, real kickboxing was hitting the heavy bag to a lot of the fitness people. And like the fake kickboxing or aerobic kickboxing or cardio kickboxing was like Tybo, where you're just doing, <clears throat> you know, moves in the air. You're not actually making any contact, hitting mitts or, or doing pad work, right? So to the fitness world, real kickboxing was just hitting the heavy bag, you know, the heavy bag class. So she, she's like, no, do you guys teach real kickboxing? And I was like, uh, 
do you mean heavy bag class versus cardio? She goes, yeah, yeah, I want to hit the heavy bag. And at the time, we didn't have the heavy bag class. We just did cardio. We had like 50 and 60 people on the mat in cardio. We were, in the, you know, we were doing it pretty well with that back in the days. So she's like, no, no, no. I want real kickboxing, not that cardio stuff. So I said, uh, we do actually have a real kickboxing class, but that's when you get in the ring and you get punched and kicked in the face repeatedly. Is that what you'd like? And she was like, uh, 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 no, I think I'll try the heavy bag class. <laughs> It's like real kickboxing is really getting punched and kicked and elbowed and kneed in the face versus the heavy bag class, which is still real kickboxing. You're learning techniques. You get a great workout. And then so is cardio kickboxing. You know, if you're if you have the right instructor, they put it together in a way that's to the music and to the beat and, and you get a good workout using technique. It's great. But yeah, man, I met your stepdad, and your mom um, walked into to their school over in Somers and basically like we basically had a, a play date that day like they showed me all their their equipment and train tools and um it was really really cool really cool and then years later you come in and you started with the kickboxing class right how have you had you trained any jujitsu at that point uh i had done like some like I, there was some basic knowledge available of like submissions and i definitely like wrestled with people and, and tried to use it and stuff but it wasn't like the same thing as this, like the systems that are available today. Did right. you wrestle in school? Or grapple? Uh, a little bit. I, I didn't like it because they didn't allow me to do the submissions. So I was kind of like, this is dumb. Like, I want to choke them and do a, do a Kimura. Like, what is this? Like, uh, I found wrestling kind of frustrating, honestly. So you started diving into ju Brazilian Jiu Jitsu when you. When I started working, yeah. 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 So and your first class was with, with me? Yep. With us. Yeah. I actually think I was partnered with you in your first class oh really yes That's wild. yeah i think i was and i think i remember being like wow this there's like you you were one of the very few people that understood it before you even like had a chance to understand it you you picked it up ridiculously fast i don't say this about a lot of people and in my industry, when I see artists working, glass artists, when there's some people that they just pick up the material and it speaks to them and they understand it. And I'm sure martial arts is, I know it's clearly in your blood and in your past, and your, but in ju I feel like jujitsu is very different than most martial arts and you were just able to, you saw it right away. Well, you know what's funny about uh, what I know about Jamie's background is I know that you have an intense yoga background and I know you played football. So if you think about, you know, how you have to understand the body and mechanics to be a good football player, regardless of what position you're playing, um, there has to be a, a level of, of toughness and athleticism that, that, that comes from that. And then the connection to your body and your spirituality through yoga and your flexibility and your breathing. And it, it's, it's almost like it's, it's a natural evolution for you to, to develop into jujitsu that way would you agree yeah absolutely i think i think the yoga is is really really similar to grappling in a, in a, in a weird way because like you're kind of moving and you have this resistance i mean in yoga the resistance is inside your body it's the stiffness and the tightness in your body but then you have you're moving and you're sweating and you're kind of working with this resistance and you're kind of trying to manage your breath so that you don't get out of breath so you can continue doing what you're doing it's there really is a, a very strong similarity to, to wrestling there. You say it sounds like jujitsu, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how did it feel when you first started training? What was what was were you were you did you experience in something that something profound? Was it just 
another sort of form of martial arts? Was it like, you know, how how did you? It was very enjoyable. Like I was, I just felt I felt very naturally competitive with it, and that's something that uh, some of the people that I've worked with that were really like like uh, like better and, and kind of like have some accolades that they experienced this too that they were like you know like it was just all about like tapping people like i was just like oh can i tap that person i want to tap that person like it was like i had a list i was like did i tap all those people okay well i gotta find more people to tap like and it's kind of still like that for me i mean i'm i i almost like don't want to say it because it sounds bad but it's like all about like okay well i rolled with that guy and i didn't i didn't get tapped and i tapped so and so and it can be very competitive in that way but it's very enjoyable it's not like it, it doesn't it doesn't feel negative to me at all. I mean, I would never like, you know, want people to perceive it that way. It's just extremely like, uh, like a video game almost. In fact, at times I've said, like, I was like, you know, we should just have leaderboards in jujitsu. Like every role in the gym should just be up on an electronic board that gets recorded. And everybody's like, everyone would quit Jamie. And I'm like, but why? I'm like, if video game people can handle it, why can't we? Because <laughs> you can do things in video games that you can't do in real life. Yeah, right. And people can handle in video games. Have yeah, you seen videos? Out. They yeah, break their right. teeth Listen, or their remote right listen that I happens can, if i can mentally tap you and have my body do what my mind wants it to do then sure let's do the leaderboard i'm all in so jamie tell us about how you went from being an instructor right professional instructor you, you were teaching you were training um your first taste of competition where where you decided that that's what you really want to do and it made you made a, a shift in your life because i remember when you when you moved on to to go and pursue that but can you tell us like how that came about um i think that like it kind of comes back sort of full circle to the yoga stuff is that i got into yoga because i was i was doing meditation and i was i was kind of interested in that and the idea of like you know spiritual development that kind of thing and uh over time i began lo looking for like different ways to kind of get that to happen and um when i started training jujitsu i had a couple experiences actually the first one of these was with uh professor tony passos rolling with him and just feeling crushed like i can't get out and trapped almost like you're gonna have a panic attack and it, it kind of made that me, feeling it kind of made me realize i was like you know wow there's there's something kind of spiritually profound in this jujitsu stuff that if I can ride through those moments that it'll have carry over to my meditation and to life, like, you know, because that's the same stuff that happens in your life. You get overwhelmed, you make a bad decision. It's just like jujitsu. So, um, when I had that first experience, it wasn't in competition, but I realized that I could definitely achieve that like very reliably through competing. And, uh, that's when I was like, man, this competition stuff has to become part of my toolkit. And I also felt like, uh, people told me, hey, you know, competition's like 30 classes. And I was like, that's ridiculous. But then I went and competed. And I was like, you know, it's kind of, it's almost true. You know, like one competition, like the experience, and it kind of makes sense based off brain science that because you're more emotionally aroused during the competition, the the imprints are deeper. So if you successfully pull off a kimura or a triangle or a heel hook, those, those neural circuits are actually wired a lot deeper than if you had just done it in a roll in class or while you're drilling, which is even Be less. Because there's some value to it yeah the emotion behind it and the fact that you pulled it off in the in the pressure situation it, it makes a deeper connection in your brain it makes complete and total sense i mean you think about when you go to a competition the the emotions you're talking about the fear the 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 um uncertainty right yeah not knowing what the outcome is going to be because when you go to class 
over and over and over again. Depending on who you roll with, you kind of know what the outcome is going to be. Generally, yeah. Right, you know, yep. I'm on with this guy. He usually beats me. I'm probably going to lose today. He's going to tap me with X, Y, or Z. Or I'm better than this guy. I'm going to tap that. And, it, and you kind of know. When you go to a competition, you don't. So yep. there's anxiety and and it is different pressures, right? It could be the pressure that maybe a coach is there or someone that you want to impress is there or someone that makes you nervous is there. So after that makes a ton of sense. What was your first experience with competition like? Uh, my first uh, jujitsu competition was yeah, or uh, those early competition. I don't know so how many. The first you one wa- into. was good. I mean, I, I went to like a Naga somewhere in Maryland, and uh, I did well. I got like first in my division in Nogi, and and then uh, did another division. Nogi got first. It was weird because I wasn't training Nogi at the time. We only did Gi at the gym, so I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> but and then uh, and then I got second in the Gi. And then after that, I went on, like, a wild losing streak. Like, I think I lost, like, six competitions in a row, like, first round, just, like, knocked out. Um, there were, like, a lot of factors with that. Were they all jujitsu competitions? Those were, yeah. Those were. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was interesting. I mean, like, I wasn't super discouraged by it because I, I kind of just felt like I was like, you know, it makes sense. I mean, I, I, I stepped up the level of the competitions that I was going to. It definitely wasn't fun, but um, but I learned a lot from those experiences. I I kind of don't like the idea of like oh you like you uh, you win or you learn only because number one I, I wouldn't want to encourage people to lose. Like I think that part of playing the game is trying to win, and you have to try to win genuinely in order to run the experiment. That doesn't mean you, you're overly attached to it, but you have to sort of put enough skin in the game for it for the the process to work on you. And then the other thing is that, you know, when you lose, you don't necessarily learn. You have to do a lot of reflection. I think it's harder to learn from losses than wins because the wins are inherently positive and you just look at it and you're like, oh, I did this and it worked for me. And it's like, wow. And then even if you did something negative, you're like, oh, I made this mistake, but it's very easy to uh, to deal with. with. With the loss, there's this like kind of negative emotional quality and it's easier to just sort of put it on the back burner and forget about it rather than analyze exactly what went on. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, an amnesia that you're, mind uses to protect itself from uh, loss or uh, devastating outcomes yeah i think part of being a good competitor i would imagine is being able to accept the losses as successes in some ways and you have to learn from every experience that you have i mean would you say like you've learned more about yourself from losing than from winning or vice versa it's very hard to say. I, I can't say that, actually. I'd have to say no, because uh, especially recently, I've won so many matches. Like, I've won 21 matches, lost one, and had one draw in the last year. So I can't really – I don't really have that many losses to learn from. I'm learning a lot from winning, honestly. But it, it, the thing is, like, I think ultimately it's the same because whether you're winning or losing, it's about not making a, a critic, not making an emotional judgment about what's happened and just accepting it. So I look at my wins very critically. I'm like, oh man, you know, like there's things here I could have done better. There's things there I could have done It's like, how did you win? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Or how, you know, what was your strategy going in and did you have to break your plan and default to something else and you won more by a scramble or getting in a position that you didn't want, right? My recent wins 
are way better to me than the ones I had at the beginning of this sort of winning streak. Is that because you had a, sorry, Moj, is that because you had a strategy going in that you stuck to? Was it a different psychology behind it? Yes, it's because. Without giving up too much? It's like a, it's, it's a, it's a full circle thing because in the beginning I had a strong strategy and I stuck to it and that worked for me, but I was like tied to it in a, in a neurotic way. And then I sort of went through something where I would I was lax mentally from winning and I was like slipping up and not really paying attention to my strategy and then I kind of came back to the strategy but in a more mature way is the only way I can describe it. So let's elaborate on the topic of strategy because sure. I think it's interesting. Um, obviously, with strategies in life, strategies on the mat when we train, and strategies when you walk into a competition. So do you have habits? within those strategies or do you create strategies for each specific opponent do you create a new strategy as your game evolves like how would you say you you go about developing i think that's a great question because for me it gets into what i think the the one of the biggest misconceptions in martial arts is um so i think really good martial artists for the most part have a small number of finishing techniques or finishing moves that they use. And if you think about the animal kingdom, it makes a lot of sense. Like most animals have one primary way that they take out another animal. They have one kind of kill shot. And what martial arts really is for, it's for getting you to your kill shot. Every person is going to have a different thing that they're really good at. Some people, and it could be more than one thing that's absolutely possible, but some people are going to be really good at choking. Some people are going to be really good at joint locks. Um, once you understand and you've developed that sort of specialty, the rest of the martial arts techniques, for me, is actually about getting me to those techniques successfully. So if you don't allow me to do what I want with you, you're going to get caught in an armbar or a kimura or a choke or something else. But if I go the way I want to go, you're probably going to get put in a heel hook. Okay, so what are some things that you do to try and follow through with your strategies in a match in other words how do you deal with the unknown or how do you how do you take control like how do you without 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 just saying like well i just overpower them no no there's a there's kind of like there's there's a bit to that so like mentally going into the match it's really like a three-step process of i have to be willing to go all in which means that I'm going to let the part of myself that's not necessarily like the thinking part and the talking part, not the the yappy part of myself, but the doer. I'm going to let that part take over and, and do what it does because I, I, I do jujitsu every day. I do jujitsu sometimes in my dreams, and then I won't remember the dream. So how could the thinker be the one that's doing jujitsu? It's not. You know, I, if, if I'm doing it in the dream and I don't rem- and I don't remember the dream entirely, then who's doing the jujitsu in the dream? It's, You're talking about your conscious mind. Right? Exactly. Is the fight the, the dream? Yeah. Is it? Do you lose yourself completely? Do well, you just sometimes I won't even remember what happened in the match in the dream. I just know that there was a match. You know, so I know that I was doing jujitsu in my dreams. I don't remember specifically what I did. But... What about the match itself? How much conscious versus unconscious do you say you? you have in those experiences earlier on it was more conscious and then i started experiencing lapses in my conscious ability to to focus during the match like i would just sort of like blank out and find myself doing something that wasn't my game plan and i realized that ultimately that's inevitable that you can't take that out of yourself because it's just going to happen 
and uh, when it happens the best thing you can do is be good at refocusing quickly but also that the unconscious part of yourself is trained to operate seamlessly so without kind of going in circles but would you say that in a match you want to be aware or do you want to be instinctual i want to be a hundred percent committed to to trying to to win and execute my game plan um that's sort of conscious right and then I want to be compassionate with myself about the results that I'm just going to live with the results, whatever it is. Um, and that's also pretty conscious. And then, uh, lastly, I want to have this sense that I'm, um, I'm being competitive with paying attention and that's conscious, but beyond that, and then my like game plan, the specifics of what I'm going to do movement wise, I really try not to, to, I try to avoid thinking. The thinking becomes a limitation because you'll think things and they're not true. Like you'll think I'm going to often like most of the time you might notice this when you're rolling. It's like if you think that you're going to finish someone that you just get yourself really tired. If you find yourself thinking, oh, I'm going to get them, I'm going to get them. You're, you're probably not. And you're probably just going to gas yourself. Yeah, I, I I I understand that when you are looking too far ahead and looking to the finish, you often um I, I guess you realize that that just doesn't work that way. It creates a separation between you and the the artwork, so to speak. Right. Like I, mean, I need to be closer to to what I'm doing than that. But if I'm... everything has to have a process. You can't just go from you know A to Z. Yes. Hit everything in between. And absolutely. And you have to be in all things in life and like jujitsu. You have to be able to improvise along the way. Yeah. So yeah, that's um, huge. So now, if you don't mind, I want to go kind of off the competitive floor and kind of talk about your your, your training sure. life. Yeah. So um, where are you training? Uh, right now, I, I train on my own pretty much. I have, like, my own little uh, program at a gym at, called AP Training Center. It's it's primarily a judo school, and uh, and I run a jiu-jitsu program out of there where I kind of take various vagabonds and, and people who just want to get better, and uh, we just work together on different things. A lot of people come to me for lessons, too, because – People do like one lesson with me and then go and apply what they learned in competition, you know, at that weekend. And they're like, man, like I didn't do anything that I learned in class. And then I went and did this stuff that you showed me. Like I got to do more of this. So I've actually gotten quite a few students that way. And where are you learning your, how are you growing and developing yourself? Uh, I train with a couple of different black belts um, down in Florida, but then a lot of the development that, that I, I do on my own stuff comes from looking either at ju- like high-level jiu-jitsu instructionals um, or matches or also other martial arts. So sometimes I'll see something in Aikido or Japanese jiu-jitsu or Chinese martial arts, and I'll be kind of inspired to play with that position and that technique and integrate it. Um, but the truth is that... it. I guess it's kind of like what happens as you get deeper into any field. Uh, the work that needs to be done becomes clearer, and it, it can be almost like a little bit like like it's not that it's boring, but it's just uh, routine. So there's many things that uh, that I need to get better on. So if you give me a room full of white belts to roll with, uh, there's a lot to work on there for me. You know, I, I can take that room and turn it into a lot of of really important and valid jujitsu training. I want you to talk about the lockdown in the Ezekiel. 
that you've been killing people with, man. Absolutely. Uh, it's really funny because I remember the I remember the day you taught me that uh, Ezekiel because my reaction to it was was the same as everybody else's which was <laughs> he goes he says to me hey you know have you ever done a sleeveless ezekiel i go i heard those don't work he goes oh no it works <laughs> and then he's like, he does it to me and i'm like oh, oh crap this works and um so i i liked this ezekiel this nogi ezekiel choke because in nogi a lot of times what happens is because you don't have the lapels the mount position is a little bit underpowered. It's a little bit weak because it's very difficult to isolate the arms when you don't have a way to attack the neck unless you've already isolated an arm, yeah, aka like a, right. yeah, like right. a katagatame or like right. a head and arm. Like you need, you need the person's arm up, so you can't do that in nogi without attacking the neck somehow. So I got into this nogi Ezekiel and I started using it from the mount. But then what I found was like I was like you know this is actually not as effective from the mount because our, my spine is parallel to the opponent it makes it easy to roll me so i started kind of going neon belly it wasn't really working and then i went back to side control and i was doing this low low side control sort of ezekiel and that was starting to work a lot and then um and this was right around the time that i moved i figured out that i could uh i could hit it from half guard top and once i figured out that i could hit it from half guard top I uh, I was like, man, it must be possible from half guard bottom. And when I got to half guard bottom and I started throwing on a lockdown with it, and the lockdown was keeping the person's leg trapped completely, and they couldn't create or make any distance. It kept their hips locked. Exactly. Right. And at that point, it just became like, it was like a, just a kill shot. I mean, I was getting anybody I wanted, like anybody well, the reason is because you put someone in lockdown like that and they can't back up. What they do is they try and smash you and get close to you. And they, they go deep on that underhook, which actually <laughs> yeah. makes it worse for the for the Ezekiel. Right. Yep. So I was like, as soon as I developed that little that system there, and then also I developed a little system on the opposite side of how to actually get my arm in, a way to use like kind of S-grips and various grip breaks to make sure that I could win the hand-fighting battle. And then, like, it, like seriously, I mean... It was like I was putting people to sleep all over the place with it. I was tapping black belts with it. It was. It, it became a really, really powerful move. It's a very. It's a very sneaky choke. It's a very sneaky choke, because once it gets set in, it's like you can only panic. There's no way to really clear the hands or make space. There's nowhere to churn. Some guys with really big, like they're like over 250 or and they're really muscular, they can punch their arm up through the bottom. But that's right. really the exception, not the rule. Right. I mean, I've gotten a lot of people with that joke man yeah ton of mileage well i gotta tell you it was it was really fun to to, to see you take it to like the next level and really push it like, like you were saying before you you'll do a private lesson you'll show a student a move and then they want to come back and learn more and apply it it was uh it was really really cool to see that so i want you to talk about that a little bit yeah it's a great move yeah. Another one you showed me that I got a lot out of is the the little heel hook from uh, from Ashi when the person is just in Ashi Garami, the first one, and, or single leg X, <laughs> and you reach down and grab their heel. Mm -hmm. I've gotten so many brown and black belts with that one, man. They're just like, they people do not know that move. It's like those little wrist locks that you find yourself in. Yeah. Or little, yeah, like little that. sneaky moves, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes people leave something dangling behind. They don't realize it's, it's uh it's it's you know easily attackable you know and and they're leaving themselves exposed 
it's so much about awareness. Like, if you're aware of the move and you know about it, it's almost like half the battle of not getting caught with it. Because even if the person slaps it on, you're familiar with what they're trying to do and you can resist. I find that with, like, the flower suite. Something you can surprise people with, but, like, once you do it once or, or you know, they, they know you're known for it, they really have to either be tired or make a mistake that you're capitalized on. It's just timing. you got to be at the right time. But it's Absolutely. hard to set that thing up and people see it coming a mile away. And What's your... What's your practice method? So do you work on something for a, a period of time? Do you work on everything all at once? Do you um, see something that you kind of want to repeat? I like to be fairly focused within a particular set of skills. I don't like to jump around too much. I mean, I have different like projects, so to speak, that I'm working on. Like I'm working on leg locks. I'm working on beer and bolos. I'm working on wrestling. Those are different projects. But uh, but within those projects, I tend to be pretty pretty focused on them. Um, they're a big component is study. Uh, I have to study the material and look at the look at the movements and see who's executing them the best and how they do it. And then from there, I am not a big fan of like drilling, but I will do some drilling if the movement is really complicated. So I'll like break it down and kind of practice it uh, for a set length of time. But I much prefer to, to roll with people and uh, try to practice the movement live. I'd much rather just try to troubleshoot it live. I think I get a better approximation of what it actually is that way. Sometimes I feel like when you're drilling, it's like I'm, it's like I'm trying to draw your shadow. And I really want to draw a picture of you. And the shadow just doesn't have the same amount of information and the richness that the rolling does. So I get more feedback and that feedback gives me a better place to make adjustments. How about as an instructor, do you agree with that statement as well? Or do you think that it's important for students to drill moves on a regular basis? They have to have the movement patterns in their system. So like if if somebody hasn't been doing martial arts for 10, 15 years, then start them out drilling. They have to drill right. because they need to they need to put some kind of pattern in their in their system. We have to train that unconscious self and, and, and put material in there. But I also think that that process can be accelerated by them watching matches. If they just watch high level people, they don't even have to know what's happening. It's just putting sort of content into their bank. So I, I think that that's a really important supplement for drilling. But for you, in terms of your training, you just need to be moving all the time. Uh, I, I do drill, but it's just it, it's it's not the way other people drill. Like I'll do very, very, very focused on a specific technique. I'll do it for five minutes at a time. Then the partner goes and then we're working on maybe one or two techniques for two or three hours that way. Yeah, see, you know, right now we're 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 three guys that are talking about things that we know about each other the people that are listening they don't know jamie nottingham they don't know that he was raised to be a samurai (laughs) (laughs) from the time that he was a a a, warrior an infant his his grandmother had him doing techniques like jumping you know climbing trees kicking trees right lifting rocks right um yeah man it's 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 so funny because Whenever you speak to someone who gets really good at something, and I'm most, I'm sure you know you know people in the art world um, that they're so good at something, whether or not it, it, it comes from it being you know natural or they just work so hard at it that that, that became you know uh, masterful at their skill. But you're talking to, to to somebody that that like he thinks about martial arts differently, he learns differently. 
I remember that from day one when 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 we started uh, uh, doing jujitsu and we start moving around, you start training with us. Um, you know, you you accelerated, but you also came in to work every day wearing a different martial art uniform, bro. Just, just <laughs> let's just let's just let's just put that out there. I was gonna ask Jamie about that. I, I was gonna ask him about his sort of eclectic style, and also in and you compete in different. I've seen. Uh, all right. Short list. The last several competitions that you did, what were they? Uh, mostly a submission grappling jujitsu, but then I also did a kickboxing match, and I also did the catch wrestling uh, competition. Um, I've, I've sort of looked at doing some other things, but the, a lot of the more eclectic stuff, there they've been really shut down due to the lockdown and stuff. Okay, so I also saw you shoot wrestling, or yep. is that catch wrestling? That's catch wrestling. That's catch yeah. wrestling. All right, shoot so is the same as I, catch. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, sure. Okay, how how is how is shoot or, or catch wrestling shoot different from a ju, from jujitsu? So is that catch can catch? Yeah, yeah. 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 So wow. jujitsu thinks about grappling um, mainly in terms of well, this is the truth about jujitsu from from kind of their standpoint is that. We want to use our legs to control the opponent, right? So regardless of the position, the, the main idea, and this is why side control gets zero points, is that we're using our legs to control the opponent. We get three points for passing the guard because we've taken our opponent's legs out of the game. We've passed their guard. Once we're past the guard, all the, the pins involve really using the legs to control us, and that's, and that's really the main idea in jiu-jitsu is controlling the opponent via our legs. In catch wrestling... They're thinking about grappling kind of horizontally. They're thinking that we want to approach the whole body and we're going to use our weight to pin the opponent. And catch wrestling is much more focused on the pin. Um, and there's some there's arguments for and against this. So I think that on the one hand, as, as, as far as energy uh, capabilities go, you get wrestlers and grapplers who are better athletes when you have a pin system implemented. If we weren't allowed to stay on our back in jiu-jitsu, we'd all be stronger athletes. We'd, we'd move more. We'd be more active. Um, and also, the pin is, uh, is a, a functional high ground in, in combat. And if you understand jiu-jitsu, then you understand this and you can take advantage of it. But not all jiu-jitsu players do. Uh, there's definitely a lot of people I've seen in jiu-jitsu who don't understand how to progress from side control to the mount and then turn that mount into an arm bar. So I think that uh, the biggest difference is that catch wrestling isn't focused on using our using the legs to control the opponents, more focused on using our, our weight. And then also that catch wrestling has various control positions beyond using uh, beyond using the legs. It's interested in cradles. It's interested in Nelsons. It's interested in various kinds of uh, ways to weave up the opponent's legs and trap them. So are you utilizing like do you find yourself utilizing both of these separate skills and philosophies when you go into? I kind um, of feel like the style thing is an illusion, man. Like I, I, I kind of don't like it. I've tried to do away with it mentally and been unsuccessful, honestly, because there's just too much information between all the styles. So I see how it came about because people need to pare down how they're going to train. You know, they need to have a plan for what but what am I going to do today or what am I going to do this week for my training? So I see how style comes about, but on the flip side, it's like there's grappling and there's striking 
and there's movement and there's takedowns and and that's martial arts like it, it it's all just we have two arms and two legs we all have the same anatomy there's only so many ways to do things yeah but styles really go into the sporting side of it too I, I, based on what you're saying right i mean i i get that grappling's grappling but if you are a sambo practitioner going up against a judo practitioner there's gonna be slightly different rules especially once you hit the ground right yeah. so so i think that that's kind of like in my opinion that's a little bit of like it's kind of like an artifice on top of what's really happening and that's why i like to do so many different styles is that there's grappling skill and that's sort of the funneling skill that allows you to put a person in a position where you can do what you want to them and then there's knowledge of the rule set and there's experience in the rule set and all these other factors that that play in but the reality is that uh, what I try to do is I try to train for those other factors enough that I know the rule set, I know what's going on, and then I can let my grappling skill kind of be developed. And what I've found is that if I change the rule set, the less experience I have in a rule set, the more grappling skill gets developed because I'm using that skill to compensate for my lack of knowledge of the moves. So I find that it's actually a, a, a richer learning environment, and that's sort of why I've been doing that. That's interesting. So ever have any interest in competing in mixed martial arts yeah yeah i i competed before in mixed martial arts i i lost that fight uh but uh, i definitely want to get back to it it's just the truth about that is that you know when i was up here in uh in danbury that i was training with glover Teixeira, and that i was training with him and his pro fighters and it was such a good like mma training environment that like i just had such such good access to training there and since then, I haven't been able to find something like that. When I went to Florida, I had really good access to jujitsu when I was training at Fight Sports and with Wagner. Um, but the MMA teams just—I I went and I checked them out, and they just weren't—they weren't—they didn't have anything like that. And it's just kind of hard for me to like go into that in such a such a contentious sport without having a really good team to back it up. It doesn't so, make sense. Yeah, 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 I need the I need, I need the, the right tools. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So where where do you see your future competition look like a competition career looking like? I mean, I hope to to keep competing and keep winning and and make it onto some of the bigger cards. Um, I ultimately really just like training and teaching. Um, I I definitely will keep competing because I I feel like it's a it's a really valuable tool for uh, for self development and for my own like skill. And I do like to test myself against people, but. Uh, but I, the real focus for me is just on my own development. Like, like I always say, like it's just on getting stronger and getting healthier and better. So, I mean, as long as competing in jiu-jitsu continues to, to help me with that, then, uh, then I'll definitely keep doing it. Tell me about your, uh, your program, what you're, you're running. You say you're running the class, right? Is, yeah. is this something that you're planning on building or is it just Absolutely, yeah. all right, to talk about that? So, I have sort of like this uh, unique idea for uh, for jujitsu that um, number one that I can teach people in a concept based fashion from the beginning, so I kind of have like a a very different lesson plan for the first few lessons. It's 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 split sort of between like they do some basic exercises and some movements like normal stuff you do on your first day. Then there's also like a little bit of it. It's about twenty minutes of an explanation about the points and why it works the way it does. The whole goal 
of of the way I've structured it is to try to get people oriented in jujitsu as soon as possible, so they're not just sort of thrashing around, not can, knowing. Can you be a little bit more specific about the movements and the skills that that you're focusing on sure, in these yeah. early parts? So you have the hip escape or the shrimp, right? And then, uh, so that's the first thing I show people the, is backwards hip escaping and forward hip escaping because I want to give them the ability to move around on the ground. And I talk to them a little bit about how the shrimp or the backwards hip escape is probably like your go-to tool in jujitsu for fixing problems. Like it's sort of like you have a computer and it's not working. Everybody knows what's the first thing you do. Restart. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, uh, that's our shrimp in jujitsu. And then as you get a little bit better, you develop the ability to actually turn away from the opponent and Granby roll. And then that's like, your heart reset you know what i mean like you're really having a big problem you got to unplug it from the wall so i try to train people in those basic skills shrimping uh forward hip escape butt scoot butt scoot backwards and forwards um and then also the technical stand-up and i feel like those build and croc walks as well and i feel like those build a really important foundation for how we move on the ground technical stand-up or, or aka standing up in base yes yes, yes exactly are you doing gi, no gi? We do both. Both, both okay. Yeah. And, and you're gearing the, the, the culture and the environment more for sport? For Honestly, no. It's, it's the, the, that, that's what I really like about this, this way that I've been approaching it is that, see, from my standpoint, the point system isn't just for competition. It's actually a code. It's like a, it's like a secret code in jiu-jitsu that unlocks what it really is. So you, you take the points and you can understand that okay, if I get two points for something, that means that I've changed the position a little bit to my advantage, whether it's competition, whether it's a street fight. And this applies to, to submission-only competition, too. If I sweep you, it gives me an advantage. That advantage is not, uh, it's not arbitrary based off of the fact that you know, there's a ref in a suit who gives up two points. points. Right. It's actually a real advantage that comes from my position positional advantage exactly so whether it's if it's a street fight now and i sweep you i can hit you if it's mma and i sweep you i can hit you if it's jujitsu points i'm up on points if it's jujitsu submission only i now have a gravity a gravity advantage on you right so i feel like the way i teach and the way i try to gear the program is really open-ended it can become focused on self-defense it can become focused on competition it can be focused on you know the historical art of jujitsu right I, I think that that's a it's a really important point for a coach to to impart on on their students especially in the beginning phases like if you don't compete and you really you know unless you have a a, a complete competition school the majority of your students aren't going to compete and you'll have a handful of people that will compete right yeah um but when when you're teaching it's I find it, it helps to add a value to the position for the students. So they're kind of like shooting for something and tallying exactly. for something. Yeah. Especially like if you're doing drills, the, the way I like to do things, especially with, with brand new white belts, is we'll give them a minute to like pass the guard or a minute to, to go from, you know, side body into trying to, to, to retain or yep. retain their guard. Um, and in that transition, if someone gets in the end belly, you know, we talk about that's two points. If they get swept, that's two points, right? Um, obviously, they're not going to be doing takedowns because they're already on the ground. But if they get to the mount, then that's four points. If they turn over, give it the back, it's four points. Why do you get more points for those positions? Because you can do so much more damage. They're higher valued yeah, positions. Absolutely. So, 
and the control is is better. You know, right. you, you have your thighs around the person. You're actually completely immobilizing them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like anything, right? You have to give people uh, a whole bunch of set of school, tools to use, but they have to know how to use them. And there's often a progression in order to all these things. I mean, I just feel like the process as I see it is more about internalizing sets of principles and rules about what to do in various situations and less about individual techniques. The techniques are examples of those rules in action. And they're meant to be like a, like, it's like a snapshot. It's like, Oh, this is what was happening or a cross section. This is a cross section of what was happening in this particular match between these two people. Um, but it's more important to actually understand the underlying rules. A lot of times I find myself asking when I see something really innovative or really cool, I'm just like, man, how did they come up with this? How did they figure this out? And that's really the question that I'm trying to wrap my brain around is how to get myself in a place mentally where I'm seeing that, that in that same way as that innovator was. Got a question for you, Jamie. Yeah. Who, and this is Guy and no Guy. Sure. Who you are... Uh, who are you rooting for, man? Who are you following? Who who motivates you? Who who do you really pull inspiration from in uh, those two worlds? Like, who do you think is at the top of their game? Um, in in the gi, it's mm-hmm. hard to say. I mean, there's there's kind of a lot of people who are vying. Well, who's your for favorite? It. Not I, necessarily who's who's at the top or who's the best. I would who's have to say that uh, some of the the guys that uh, they're not out of unity anymore, but the Meow Brothers and then also uh, Levy Jones, Leary, that I really enjoy watching their game because. That just that I, I always love when somebody tells somebody, oh, you know, this doesn't work. And people were saying, oh, you know, the Pirambolo doesn't work at a high level. And those guys just came in and they like the same year that they were saying that. I think Keenan said that. And then Levy Jones theory won worlds Pirambolo-ing everybody. Right. Um, so for me, that that that's really impressive. Um, and then Nogi, uh, I have a lot of <clears throat> respect professionally for Gordon Ryan, like. The content he puts out is amazing. Um, his jiu-jitsu is amazing. Um, and also, he, in some ways, has paved a way for other jiu-jitsu athletes to make more money in the sport. So I think that he's really been a pioneer. Uh, somebody up and coming that I really like is Mika Galvao. Um, he's been tearing up the competition scene. I think he just took a loss to one of the Rotolos. But honestly, I, the, the stuff he's doing is... He has some really innovative uh, jujitsu that if you watch him fight and roll, it's stuff you've just never seen. You're just like, well, what was that? You know, and it, it's really impressive. That's amazing where everything's going, where the sport's going, what people are doing, what they're learning, how they're learning. I mean, there's so much knowledge out there um, and it's 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 amazing. I mean, it's like instead of having one instructor, you've got the world at your fingertips. But do you have like a... Um, do you do you want to travel? Do you want to go seek out knowledge from somebody in person? Like where would how do you how do you intend on gaining all this information if you if you know do you think it's possible to do with media alone or do you think that you need to get out there and and and, and be part of a bigger team in order to reach your next level? I don't want to be like too, too controversial uh but I would say that I was convinced that I needed a bigger team and then I had that team and I was with them and then I wasn't really competing and I was kind of trapped by the by the environment in a lot of ways and what ended up happening was when I left the team that I 
had more opportunities to compete and I went to another team and I was with that team for a while and then I left that team too and I had no team and it hasn't impacted my performance so let's just face it man you 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 need to be like a ronin <laughs> you know yeah you, well, that's the, I mean that's, everywhere, every, that's sort of what I'm getting at yeah. like I'm trying you know I mean like I, I, I don't know I'm, I'm very much uh, I'm old school I guess I, it's like I, I like, got a school. I got a. I, I, I got Brandon. That's my knowledge. That's you know. What I mean. Uh, um, I suppose everyone learns historically. Well, well, martial would... arts has been sort of like student and master, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, you well, you, the thing you is, have many the, masters. Your that's masters the thing, are. Though, is that's the story, right? The story is student and master, but this they don't tell you how long that story was for. Sometimes it's two years. Sometimes it's five years. Sometimes it's ten years. There's very few student and masters. They they are together thirty years. That's special. Well, you know, the old school way was your teacher would teach you a certain skill set. And then once you achieve that skill set, then they'd write you a letter. They'd sign it with their with their seal and they'd send you to another teacher. Yeah, I've, another been, I've been passed off many times. <laughs> <laughs> like, get out of here. Right. <laughs> yeah, we gave you to Florida. <laughs> Are you planning on coming back up north? Uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, I've been traveling so much that I, I think I'm probably going to keep traveling and just kind of moving around because there's just been opportunities kind of all over. So it, it makes sense to take them. So I, I have to ask you this question. How do you choose at what level to compete in? If, okay, so in competitions, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. there's white through black belt level mm-hmm. age groups weight classes yeah how, how how do you how does he categorize himself yeah um i mean for the most part i think that uh you're looking for a reasonable challenge a manageable challenge so i kind of calibrate it according to that i mean obviously you want to be honest about your experience and your weight and those kinds of things but um but you're doing super fights yeah yeah, mostly. yeah okay so what what Moshe's asking is really up to the promoter all right right uh Where, I, they usually give me the chance to accept or deny the match well that's what i mean but they're yeah. going to offer you people that are within you know your your parameters right like, sometimes i mean sometimes they're trying to eat you up or sometimes they're trying to feed you somebody well that's what i'm saying like like you know that this yeah. guy has 10 to 12 years experience in 2500 fight you know whatever the case is whatever yeah. crazy number it is yeah like last the, at the cat wrestling thing they sent me to this guy and he was like uh had 26 matches on fight to win he's a four stripe brown belt i was like he's 210 i was like okay I was like, I think I think they're trying to feed me to this guy. Right, right. <laughs> and what happened? You ate him up. I ended up eating him. Yeah, yeah. So, are you talking most more about like if you went into a a tournament no, bracket I mean, style? No, I guess. Uh, How do I decide which competitions to enter? Yes. Uh, it, it's about sometimes it's about what they offer, right? Like if there's a prize, uh, that sometimes is a good draw. Uh, but it for me, mostly it's about experience. So I usually. Uh, I mean, I'll be totally honest. Like, when I first uh, started training, I would uh, I would enter competitions. I would enter like every division, and then over time, I realized that like it was like too much kind of that. I really preferred just do one division or just do one thing that day. If I was just gonna do gi or just do no gi, so these days what I try to do is just like I said, find a manageable challenge. Like you know, 
find a division with six or seven people or, or eight or nine people and, and jump in that and uh, just kind of treat it like a little mission and just go get it done and then be done with it. So let me ask you this, Jamie. You you have your 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 gym now. You have your space. You have your your program. You're building right. Oh. Um. You you have your goals for for competing. I mean, you're not necessarily going for a title or like a number of of matches or or a tournament. You're not chasing a scene this year specifically, are you? No, I'm just trying to be the best that I can be. Once I uh, hopefully soon I'll be getting my brown belt, and hopefully then I'll be able to start going on the IBJJF scene and uh, and because they allow heel hooks now. Okay. And so that's after that. That that's exactly where I was where I was going with this. Who's promoting you? Who who are you under in order to get promoted? How is that? How's going to work for you? Well, I, I've worked with I worked with a couple of different black belts, um, and then I get it's funny like when I was a blue belt, I, ha- I was having a really hard time like getting promoted because I got I left Tenth Planet and I left uh, Fight Sports and Fight Sports just definitely wasn't going to promote me. And I found out Tenth Planet wasn't going to promote me, so I was like, "Man, so I, <laughs> I have to I have to ask what, what, for what reasons, or or maybe so fight what sports, happened there? Fight we got to know was uh was definitely they were just trying to sandbag me, like I, they were trying to keep me at blue belt because they they will keep somebody at blue belt until they win. I mean, I was blue belt for two and a half years. There was this guy that I trained with who's now a purple belt, finally. And he was a blue belt for six years. And he won worlds at in, in, in Nogi at blue belt, like weight in absolute. And he was waiting to the next year to win Gi Worlds weight in absolute. And then they were going to promote him. But then the coronavirus came and they finally decided it's been too long and we got to promote this guy. So you're really. saying they wanted to keep you a blue belt to keep you winning under their name? Yeah, that's what they do. I mean, they're they're like a you know like the they have a what do you call it like a machine, you know what I mean? And they're trying to run their machine the way they do it, so they try to stack the odds in their favor. That's like honestly, like it, it sounds kind of weird, but that's just it's super Carlson Gracie lineage. Like, is that also part of the game? Do I can't imagine they're the only school that does this. No, they're not. Wow, a lot it. of coaches give uh, give the talk. Listen, you're not going to get your promotion until you go win the world. So you know, right? Yep. Yeah. So it's common in competition mm-hmm. schools to do this kind of stuff. In fact, like it it might sound like maybe negative about them, but they're also just trying to give their students the best opportunities to win against other people who are doing the same stuff. Yeah, it's not always it's not always a negative. No, it isn't. But. Sometimes it's really positive for an athlete. I mean, sandbagging is negative. Let's yeah. not get that twisted. Yeah. No, some people do that. They they build a team around keeping someone as, as a as a keeper as long as they can, man. Um, but all right, so you have someone in a base. Well, you know that's an issue that I've had in the past. And and when you have students that that train at different schools for for whatever reason, it can become an issue. Yeah, because absolutely. at a certain point, like you know, let's say you know. Instructor A wants to promote you to the next level. Instructor B doesn't think you're ready. So instructor A gives you the belt. Then you go back to instructor B school wearing the belt. They can become an issue. Yeah, again, I don't want to be too controversial, but I I would go as far to say, and I give this as advice to white belts, that the belt system in jiu-jitsu is fundamentally a matter of loyalty. And it's really, really important if you want to get belted that you stick with an instructor. And there's like, if, if your goal is belts, there's no reason to cross-train. 
Like, if your goal is to be as good as you can be, then you can make arguments for or against cross-training. I'm not going to get into that. But or joining a big team that has accessibility to yes. people constantly coming in, having different beasts right, exactly. on the mat. Large schools right, lots right. of bodies. Right. There's lots of options. So you're not, you're not saying it's bad to have a goal of getting your belt. No, it's right. great. That's, a, that's, right. a, that's an important goal. In fact, sometimes I wish I had been more cognizant of that goal that I actually do have in my heart. You know what I mean? I was like, I should have paid attention to this. You know, I mean, I was really feeling that when I was stuck at Blue Belt. But then once once I got promoted to Purple, it was kind of weird. It was kind of like something broke the dam. And I've had like five or six offers now of people to give me my brown belt. So I'm like, like I have to. It, the tr- the sad thing about anything is that once you get too deep into it, it gets pretty political. So I have to. Right. Like who's it, who, do I, who do I want to get my belt from? Right. Like who's going to be who's going to have the most weight in the. So. All right. Um, in closing, because it's time. To wrap up episode three, um, so Jamie, what's what's next, man? What's the what's the what's the short? And what's the long term goals? I mean, the short term goal is to keep competing and and to grow my program at AP as best as I can. And then long term, I mean, really, I'm looking for like minded people who want to do the same stuff as me to eventually build a stronger team. You know, to recruit and bring in people who are. Who are really capable and uh, whether they're coaches, athletes, whatever. I mean, the truth is that I'm really open-minded and I want to get a good team together to be able to achieve bigger goals. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to train with you. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. You know, I'm uh, I'm always here to help you any way that I can. Um, Jamie is is a really, really smart young man. Um he he just he absorbs information he's great with people um he's got a great spirit and great energy and i always i always uh tease him about being like the human elmo because he's got the big eyes and the beard and and he's just to me he's just he's just such a, a a sweet guy but um yeah i mean i also think you're an immense talent absolutely I think talented, your dedication man. to the sport and to what you do uh, even it, 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 it's it's inspiring, and I hope it inspires other people. Um, and I I really wish you nothing but the best in in your future, Jamie. This is this is awesome. Thank you. Plug yourself, man. Where where can yeah, people find you? Where where it. can they follow you? Uh, if you want to check me out on Instagram, it's Jamie Loves Martial Arts. And then uh, if you want to go and follow the the gym that I'm working at as well, it's called AP Training Center, uh, Fort Lauderdale. All right, man. Listen. Um, we want all you guys out there that are listening to the Core Academy podcast to follow us. This is episode number three. Um, Jamie Nottingham, thank you so much for, for coming up, man, and, uh, and and talking with us. Most thanks again, my brother. This was this, this is was awesome. awesome. It's always great. Thank to you. Talk guys. to both of you and uh, us. Yeah, let's go do some training. Huge honor for me. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Peace. Peace. You just experienced the Core Academy Podcast. Feel the flow. Jiu-Jitsu for life. Us. <laughs>